what's up and welcome back to nostalgia pod giving you another week what's going on in pop culture my name is pat sheehan joined by my trusty co-host dave martin swagger dave as a known Rodrigo, how are you feeling today feeling good we uh continue to promote the Rodrigo's fandom agenda livy's whack name but uh yeah she still had a really strong grammy nights hard to complain she didn't have the billy eilish five for five sweep but that's okay and in general i have more positive thoughts than expected about the 2022 grammys which is always a nice feeling because it's a rare feeling and we're, we're gonna be talking about the grammys uh, an album today that came out unexpectedly but uh surprisingly uh in a good way for me uh, i was excited to listen to it a couple tv shows a couple movies and then we're gonna make some 2023 oscar predictions bro i mean it's it's time we we just got over them so we have to already start talking about it you know start the cycle all over so hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod and go to spotify give us a five star rating on there dave you mentioned that the Rodrigue hose had a lot to walk away with last night but i mean really the whole reason we all came was to see our guy john batiste take home album of the year for we are the grammys they they nailed it man they got it best album of the year john batiste <laughs> well he was the most nominated uh guy gal group on the night so he was expected to win some things he did win stuff before the broadcast started he won five and in, in, in terms of winning album of the year he becomes the first black man to win the category sorry no sorry first black artist to win the category in 14 years mm-hmm. since 2008 Obviously, of course, Beyonce never has won during that stretch of time, Kanye, et cetera. So that's something. Um, yeah. But, you know, I kind of feel bad for John Baptiste in a certain sense just because he's going to get a lot of flack because he's just significantly less famous and less well-liked to the general public than this, all the people he beat for this award. Yeah, you know, it, not nothing against him. It's just I, I think when you have such a mix of albums for – album of the year um obviously there's going to be some that are just more popular like you mentioned and then people are going to be pulling for want to see win uh i actually can't say if we are is the best album of the year last year because i didn't listen to it so um, it might be um uh, i know he's a great artist uh loved his work on soul so shout out to him but um yeah I, i can't say for we are but i do think like you said earlier the grammys did a pretty good job last night an award show that we constantly dunk on and just you know effuse how unimportant they are uh i actually had a really great time with the uh with the tv aspect of it because i feel like they had probably five five to seven big artists there that you just had to had to have play you know and they had to have a moment and they pretty much lined five of those up right away just to like knock knock it out of the park and in that first hour just pure electricity they've moved it along some great wins got to see pretty much all the big artists you want to see was really impressed with that how did you feel about the first hour just in general yeah i think the first hour is really really strong really tight and really hard to pick any holes with that you know and i think some of this starts just with trevor Noah. i thought he did a really good job hosting he was funny but the pace of his his banter his jokes was just quick you know he interacted with people out you know, in the crowd just enough, but I thought he did a really good job. I would love to see him host the Oscars. He seems up for the challenge. 
So he did he did well. But like you said, uh, they just packed a lot of good shit in right away. Silk Sonic kicking it off with performance, actually a replacement performance when the Foo Fighters uh, understandably backed out following the death of Taylor Hawkins. So nice to see Silk Sonic get added in. Uh, they probably were not super into they they probably declined an earlier invite. They had to have already been invited before and then they said yes, you know, last minute after the, the circumstances. Either way, really cool to see them play seven 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 given the fact yeah. that these Grammys were taking place in Las Vegas. Perfect idea, super easy. Hadn't even thought of that as a possibility. Really cool. Um and then right off the bat too, you do Song of the Year. I like the idea of doing a big award right off the bat, similar to how the Oscars often does a supporting uh, award right away and that's when we realized Olivia Rodrigo was not having the uh, the sweep because yep. she lost to Silk Sonic Leave the Door Open wins uh, a song of the year but then from there you know what what we got um, a Balvin performance we got BTS doing butter with new choreography doing like a spy themed thing yeah. very great um, and the Billy performance of Happier Than Never was around this time right that was all like like the first, the first set of stuff was all really good. Yeah, I think it was in terms of performances. We went Bruno, Olivia Rodrigo, Balvin, or well, Bruno and Anderson Pac, Silk Sonic. Yeah, Olivia Rodrigo, Balvin, BTS, Lil Nas X, and then Billy Phineas. Actually, it might have been Balvin before Olivia Rodrigo, but somewhat right. in that order. Yeah, and man, just electric performances all around. Like absolutely stunning. You mentioned the Billy performance being awesome, but Man, BTS, I, I think I saw the most reaction to their performance online. People who are not totally in the K-pop sphere were just like blown away by how mm. cool and just smooth and fun they are to listen to. And that that whole like aesthetic of like the spy yeah. like choreography was just incredible. They, they, they bring it every single time. They're they just do. always good. And I, I love like the setup too. And breaking the internet immediately, you see Young sitting next to Olivia <laughs> whispering in her ear showing her a card it's like oh my god you you cannot teach yep. that heat <laughs> but it was cool to see them do new choreography not the traditional butter stuff rm had said on the carpet that they were doing new stuff unlike last year where they just kind of did a virtual version of dynamite that they had been doing and stuff and obviously the 2020 grammys when they were present they had just been there in support of Lil nas x old town roads so this is the first time they were in person actually doing one of their own songs great uh the next step of course is to actually win an award they didn't win for pop uh duo slash group performance although they lost to an uh, excellent choice in kiss me more doja and SZA. Mm-hmm. and in the process you had doja cat uh, being herself really funny yeah. very crass as you expect from her but also a, a great moment of course talking yeah. about how she had to rush her piss out <laughs> to make the stage in time yeah doja is just so electric on the mic um amazing and also you get SZA up there just like uh, on crutches looking incredible uh just an awesome moment for them um you know olivia did get some shine i thought her performance was great right off the bat and driver's license with the live guitars and like actual like rock music in the second half mm-hmm. adds so much more to that song I- i'm so glad that that they add that element to it in the same way that um happier than ever it just sounds so much better when you have that live element yeah. as well and the vision that rocked were- for sure and uh billy of course wearing the taylor hawkins uh t-shirt yeah. in tribute uh hats off there yeah um, I saw, 
I saw somebody tweet, um, does Billie Eilish have the highest like likability score out of hmm. like, a young celebrity right now? I'm like, she might. Honestly, I yeah, feel like she I remember hasn't she, made any missteps. Yeah, I, I think, wasn't there a clip of her saying like a, a racial slur when she was younger? Mm. She seems to have, na- she seemed to navigate that uh, yeah. as best you can anyway. Um, yeah, I'd say so, you know, especially because like me and you are not the biggest fans of album two, Happier Than Ever. Nonetheless, um, it's hard not to be impressed with just about everything her and Phineas are getting up to. And like that performance, like you said, I like the addition of the guitars and the drums live, really punching up the performance. And just it looked like she was having a blast up there with her brother. That was really great. Um, yeah. I think the one, the one, and it's cool, that's a slight switch up, right? You said driver's license slightly switched up a little bit. Uh, BTS switching it up on the, the performance side of things. Justin Bieber also switched it up performing Peaches, but I just thought that was a really poor decision to slow down Peaches. He had plenty of other songs off Justice that that would have worked with fine, if not greatly, but he had to play Peaches because it's the song that got all the nominations, but it just, it didn't work well. Yeah, I, I didn't really like that choice either, just to slow down for my liking, you know, especially because like the second half of the show always has problems it's it's just a long award show it's three and a half hours it's how do you make everything fit um and putting him he wasn't he was in like i think middle to second half just like you kind of needed that shot of adrenaline especially because you have like john batiste didn't taylor perform too i might have checked out at that point taylor swift no she was not there no that's right i was i saw a different clip of her performing evermore and someone was like you really want this to win like awards tonight really and i was like <laughs> I agree you know t- taylor swift wins out in the year last year up once again but can't be bothered to show up because she knew she wasn't gonna win that's just how she rolls yeah honestly good for her the, the grammys still don't matter that much to me um but you have like nas right who comes out mm-hmm. didn't expect <laughs> inter- that i did not expect it to be not only for him to perform, but him to perform and just bring that much heat. I mean, he's all he always brings it, but with like the huge band behind him, right. it was just so grand and just like uh, operatic and in the best way for him. Um, but yeah, I felt like the second half dragged a little bit. Um, obviously, you get the um, uh, in memoriam Ben Platt, Cynthia Revo, a um, couple other people, up Leslie Odom, and yep. Rachel Zegler. Oh, yes. Grammys inviting her from the jump, (laughs) Uh, just like they also had uh, Zelensky from Ukraine, something the Oscars didn't actually do. I I couldn't help but think about how this was running so much better than the last Oscars a few times. Yeah, well, there also wasn't a huge, like gigantic shift in terms of attitude in the the place, but we don't need to harbor that. yeah, I mean, what other win stood out to you? I mean, I guess there's mm-hmm. one for me that I was really excited about, which was um, Jasmine Sullivan won for yeah. uh, was that, yes, best R&B album, which she she seemed genuinely shocked and uh, just an awesome moment and great recognition. I was like, ah, they're getting some right. some stuff right here. And she won via tie one of the other R&B song categories uh, beforehand. Those two wins, her first wins after not winning off like the last 12 nominations over the course of her career. But again, Hotel's winning R&B album, Justly Earned. It was a great record. Kiss Me More winning. Great, great record. You know, Leave the Door Open. It's not my favorite uh, Silk Sonic song, but you can't can't argue with it, you know? 
uh, baby Keem winning for family ties. Great moment. I really loved uh, him going off in the speech and having that moment. Uh, Tyler winning best rap yes. again for call me. If you get lost the correct choice. Um, rap melodic. You had Kanye baby and uh, weekend winning for hurricane. The correct mm-hmm. choice. I was actually just kind of impressed with for the most part, they kept making the right call. And then John Baptiste yeah. happens at the end, but for the most part, they did well. <laughs> I know it was like Grammys, of course, are going to Grammy. Um, yeah, no, I, I honestly was very pleased with the winners last night, the the show in general. Gotta say, for all the shit we give the Grammys, we have to give them credit because I really think they nailed this. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, any any other thoughts on this? Yeah, I, so I had a few notes, uh, just uh, negatives. I would say, um, notice I saw this a lot online. Uh, Draco the Ruler was not in the In Memoriam. Um, really bad omission, given that he was murdered at an industry event and also had all his issues with the legal system in life, like super influential West Coast rapper to not even put him in there. Been stupid. If you remember how the In Memoriam went, whenever rappers came up or hip hop people came up, they got a loudest cheer. Young Dolph got a huge uh, pop, for example. Did not have Draco there. It's really, really yeah. stupid. Also, also uh, yeah, Joey Jor- Jordison from um, Slipknot wasn't in there, and he was pretty. Uh, there, it's a lot of people online reacting to that. Yeah, yeah, that's another one for sure. Uh, also, just so from what we understand, best rap album was supposed to be given out on the broadcast. I mean, the change last minute went to uh, the rap performance category that Keem won instead, because seemingly because Keem was present, Tyler wasn't because Tyler's out on tour right now. Um, kind of odd, you know. I'd also say that the Musica Urbana category should not be given out before the show either. Bad Bunny won that, just like he won that last time. Bad Bunny is one of the biggest artists in the world. You should want him on stage. Like, it just really stupid call. Um, also, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I just think like, there's like some of these changes where it's like, honestly, like, uh, do you cut out a performance to make room for stuff like that? I don't know, because you still gave up best country album. Country is a big, big genre, not genre we care about, but it's a big genre. I feel like you should give out these big genre categories, all of them, including they don't give a best rock album either. Like you should give all those out, I feel like. But generally, the Grammys is like, was like an advertisement for pop music more than anything else. And I think these Grammys were very successful in that regard but in terms of like honoring stuff uh obviously i have some of those kind of notes here uh shout out chris stapleton though becomes the first solo act to win best country album three times that's pretty cool yeah your your point about getting the the stars on stage i totally agree they definitely could have cut out that final performance i thought that was a weird choice to have you know john batiste win and there was a, another performance afterwards yeah, brothers I just, osborne i just turned the tv off immediately <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I definitely think they could have um, done some things differently, but overall very pleased. Also, we didn't really talk about it. Anderson Pac and Bruno Mars together just are so fun. Like yeah. <laughs> they were joking around with uh, Trevor Noah. I thought that was a great bit where you know he's talking to Anderson, just kind of ignoring Bruno. Uh, and just every Second time they got on stage. was so funny. Yes. Like <laughs> we're trying real hard to stay humble, yeah. but we, we call that a sweep. <laughs> like, In the yes. industry, we call that a clean sweep. Talk yeah. Also, shit. Anderson's wig was great. 
Yeah, fantastic. Just great stuff overall. Also, mm-hmm. that he got to, you know, dedicated to his mom who died earlier in the week. Um, yeah, but that was really, really nice. So, uh, Grammys, uh, surprising win, uh, this mm-hmm. year. So we'll, we'll take it. Yeah. Next, next year, it's the Adele Grammys. We already yeah, know. we already know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, you and I were talking last night about, ah, usually the, the best album category or, or winner is kind of boring and then we we're like oh wait but it's adele next year so it doesn't matter we'll talk about it in 2024 so <laughs> while we move on though we'll we'll see do you think dreamville's gonna get any nominations at the grammys this year with uh their new mixtape uh d-day a gangsta grills mixtape that just dropped surprisingly mm. this past friday what'd you think well if we recall the last Dreamville group album, Revenge of the Dreamers 3 from 2019, was Grammy nominated. <laughs> and J. Cole is pretty consistently getting nominated as well. He was up for the offseason, uh, you know, this yesterday, too. So don't rule it out, given uh, how things have been going. But yeah, definitely came out of the blue. Uh, you love the last second drop there. For me, the biggest thing that brought some excitement to was that this was another Gangsta Grills mixtape with DJ Drama. Of course, hot off Tyler Creator releasing Call Me If You Get Lost as a Gangsta Grills inspired album that just won Best Rap Album. So people are going back to drama and seeing the value in that. But more than anything else, hearing a Dreamville group album in any format is just cool and exciting because Dreamville is a really tight roster of artists that make sense together and have a lot of great chemistry because they've been doing this a long time. So the results uh, bear out when you listen to D-Day. Yeah. First, I just want to shout out the aesthetic of this album, this cover with uh, the missiles coming out, the obviously mm. like Photoshop, like poorly Photoshopped um, cover is just like such a yeah. throwback feeling. Yeah. Uh, love, that's that's what that. a gangster girl's cover looks yeah. like. <laughs> just uh, absolutely love it. Um, and yeah, man, I, I actually really loved this, uh, this mixtape album, whatever you want to call it. I thought not only did it just like there were almost no skips for me on this. I just thought it was like heat after heat. But even the times when it kind of slowed down, like there's an Ari Lennox track somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. that gets a little bit more like melodic, a little more like, you know, Ari Lennox style. I still thought it sounded great and just really uh, fun to listen to, brought a lot of energy all throughout. Mm -hmm. So I was I was really impressed. Did you think this uh, this lived up to like the the past Dreamville mixtapes? Yeah, that's a great question, because Revenge of the Dreamers 3, a whole big thing was built about how they were all together in these long sessions and just banking and out. They had all these guests as well off the roster there, too. This is not quite as many guests, you know, non-Dreamville artists present, but I still really liked it, you know, and I didn't think there was a lot of fat here. You know, obviously, when you listen to the Dreamville album, you're not going to, not every song is going to have J. Cole on it, not every song is going to have Jin on it. So there's going to be people that the average person's probably less familiar with like loot or cause or something, but I still thought it was really fun, really good. And definitely made me excited for the upcoming JID album. Definitely made me excited for the upcoming Ari Lennox album. Of course, we just got an earth gang album. We had a cool album last year. So just kind of felt like, uh, like a bonus to me, like a present, honestly. And there was a bunch of songs I dug. What were the songs that stood out most to you? Yeah, so let's see. Right off the bat, Stick. I actually wanted more from that just because Sheck West, Kenny Mason coming in as guests 
kind of wanted more for them, especially from Kenny Mason. Um, but the Jidverse is still good. Uh, Lifestyle, track three, I really liked. I thought Boz's flow was really awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then coming down with Ari, I thought she was great. Starting five, I thought the chorus on that was super good. Um, Starting five was a clear standout. And that, that was one of those moments where I was like, okay, who's on this? And I was like, I don't really know these people, but right. this sounds awesome. Yeah, Lou and Cos specifically have been on Dreamville a long time. They've been making albums, but not as famous as the other people for sure, but still good. There's a reason they're there. Uh, I also quite enjoyed Hair Salon. I thought that was the best example of guests being present. I thought G. Perico in particular like, just really spazzed on that one. Uh, that one. I enjoyed that one quite a bit. Uh, other side of the coin, Barry from Simpson. I thought 2 Chain's spot was not very good. In stark uh, contrast, the Jid, who of course was good, but I think my favorite song on this is uh, "Big Trouble Freestyle" with Kaz, where Kaz is freestyling off uh, "Who Shot Ya," uh, Big Biggie Smalls. Of course, we just had a, a Biggie freestyle recently when Corday went over uh, kicking the door at the LA Leakers before his album came out. But I thought Kaz, like, not only did he spaz over "Who Shot Ya," but he had a lot of like awesome lines. That I just was really into. Uh, I'm a Spider-Man fan, but man, fuck the web. Like, I'm gonna get that blowjob. Then, like Brent, I'm a Fiaz. Like, th- there was just a lot of like really awesome lines. Uh, the Paramore line too. Like, it was really impressive yeah. on that one. Yeah, you know, the album was kind of wrapping up at that point, so I was like, ah, oh, you know, kind of like just getting into the end of it, and then. Clearly, you hear that that drop and your ears perk up, and right. he, he really brought it on that. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a clear standout. One of the earlier tracks I was a little disappointed with, especially after I liked a lot of what they did in their last album, was uh, Ghetto Gods Freestyle, the second track with Earth mm-hmm. Gang, and uh, I think that's with J. Cole, right, too? Um, two Chains, I think. Oh, no, Two Chains. Yeah, and I, I just wanted more from them together. I mean, yeah. I thought Two Chains was okay, but just didn't didn't pop the way I wanted it to. I think you named a lot of the ones that stood out. Um, starting five is probably my favorite. Um, I like the lifestyle a lot. I like stick just for like the pure, like, I don't know, like raw energy that, they, mm-hmm. that it brought. A great way to start the album off. Um, what did you think of the, of the J. Cole uh, songs on here? Any of that you particularly liked? Yeah, I thought in general Cole sounded good. Uh, Heaven's yeah. EP, the last track, probably stands out the most just because that actually already been released back in September because that is the same beat as Drake's Pipe Down from Certified Lover Boy. And Cole had put mm-hmm. that out uh, a while back. But yeah, I thought Cole sounded good. He's really settled in, especially on these yeah. label projects as more of a like elder statesman, kind of like godfather figure to the rest of the people on the record yeah. label. So yeah, I thought he, you know, he, he played his part as it goes. Yeah, even though it was one of the more like to- toned down tracks in the middle, something that kind of brought the energy back to to earth a little bit. Freedom of speech, I thought was really good and just like a classic J. Cole beat and flow and uh, really enjoyable to listen to. I also did like Blackberry Sap, which was Ari Lennox's second song on here. Yeah. Just like bounced more and uh, you know one of the the more impressive like turns and, and changes on the uh, the album. So really good stuff we're going to be adding a track or two to our nostalgia best of 2022 any last thoughts though dave dreamville. shout out dreamville i think they're i think they're the best roster right now because they they're consistent 
I agree. Uh, why don't we move forward, though, to another person that we, I, I guess we, we've heard from Dreamville more recently. We've heard from Gerard Carmichael. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it feels like a long time since I really was like thinking about him. And then I heard a special was dropping. I was like, this is going to be great. I can't wait to listen to it. Um, you know, Dave, though, Rathaniel, this new special from Gerard Carmichael, left me feeling very similar to how I felt about Aziz Ansari's last special, which was... Nightclub comedian. Yes, which was, I think, the storytelling ability and the ability to just, like, hold the attention of a crowd or someone, like, watching this special is very evident. He seems like a very, like, confident performer and just, like, able to, like, sit up there with silence a lot of the time, which is very impressive to me. But I didn't laugh as much as I was kind of hoping to. And I think mm-hmm. that's because this special wasn't intended to be one that no. really, <laughs> you know, brought a lot of jokes. There were some really funny moments, but yeah. I think this was more of a Drod Carmichael kind of like having a therapy session on on stage, so to speak. So yeah. definitely an interesting special. What was your reaction to Rothaniel? Yeah. Rothaniel is the third Drod Carmichael special first since eight came out in 2017. So it's been a minute. Eight, like Rothaniel, directed, edited by Bo Burnham, who has made his bones recently on the side as a secretly really good writer and director or editor and director for this kind of thing. Also, both those specials released on HBO, which is just notable because it means they didn't come out on Netflix, which is where basically everyone else has been working in the stand-up comedy sphere. But I hadn't really been thinking about Drudge Carmichael like stand up right now just because like, you know, it's been a while, 2017, but also like he had got on to other things. Like he had directed his first feature film on the count of three, which premiered at Sundance in 2021. We're still waiting for that to come out. And he's going to be in the Yorgos Lanthimos movie, Poor Things, coming out later this year. Drudge Carmichael kind of branching out. And that's often when I get excited about comics when they're more than just a comic. And then to see him release a special like Rothaniel. And when you realize that it, it's like one of the, I think it's one of the most like brilliant visions I've ever heard from a special. And yeah, it's not the most laugh out loud thing. No, no shit, you know? Uh, but it's just so consistent and focused and he spends so much time and puts in so much work to build up to all these incredibly poignant moments about himself that I, I'm just really impressed with the vision because like you said he the way he goes about his story it's like he it almost seems like it's not like super scripted at all you know but Aziz a nightclub comedian I think he he'll kind of uh, meander a little bit and go off on more tangents Gerard always is really bringing it back super well this one key theme before you even realize it's going that route you know so I, I was really impressed with it I think the obvious like sign of how how well he just was able to connect and hold your attention and tell you a story and bring you along for the story, not really having you um, kind of like losing your attention or losing your focus off it is that at the end, the whole way he starts the show about how he hasn't been honest about what his name actually is. He doesn't tell you the, the name from the first bit of the first five minutes of the show until the very end. And you, you just kind of forget about it. Cause you're just along for this ride and, and you're on this, like you're in this encapsulating story the whole time. Um, I definitely 
feel like this is a uh, obviously I don't know if a step forward is the right way to put it, but I think it's a um, a sign of growth for him just as a performer, someone that seems very confident. Um, obviously, talking about his sexuality, um, how this has impacted his relationships, how it's impacted his life, how it's impacted his view of himself, um, kind of bearing his soul on stage is really uh, fascinating to watch and done really well. But beyond that, just his ability to command the stage and not, he didn't seem at all like he, you know, was putting on a bit, even though he obviously was at points. Um, Some of it was (laughs) a little bit more finely tuned in terms of the bit, like when he was talking about um, hooking up with his boyfriend and, you know, at times they'd be like, you know, you have to stop making out and say no homo (laughs) and stuff like that. Uh, Really, really funny. Um, But yeah, a lot of it just felt like he was just talking to you and uh, yeah, I don't know. I was just, I was impressed by it. At the same time, I I was like, you know, this is the second comedy special that we're going to be talking about where people are going to come away and just be like, I I only laughed like three or four times. Like what, what, what is this? Yeah. Well, it's thing. It's like, you know what? You can find other ones that'll make you laugh more. Like it's not a big deal, you know? Mm -hmm. I think like the whole theme of Roth Daniel, you know, beyond Gerard's very specific um personal experiences but like just the overall theme about authenticity and secrets you know and the way he goes about it in such a conversational manner uh i just found like it really sticks with you and there's that storytelling style where you're sprinkling in the comedy and you're getting huge laughs when you do it's not like they're these amazing jokes or anything but just because he has everyone's attention like at the tip of his finger and then when he sprinkles in a joke that plays off really well off something really poignant personally had just been talking about like it, it still hits really well i just really appreciate that focus that he's bringing uh to this routine here and you know again it's like it's not like chris rock who's right now touring and probably gonna do a special for netflix soon after everything that happened with will smith right it's not a routine this is obviously gerard finally coming to grips with something about himself and i think that's just really uh cool to see shared with everyone you know yeah um this was made recently he he shot this back in february at the uh, blue note jazz club in new york city and i really love bo's camera work once you're actually in uh the club you know like the way he kind of like does these close-ups but they're kind of like from the from the bottom up looking up at gerard that looks really cool but also, like, I think this is a really subversive special just because Gerard is openly welcoming uh, the audience participating and asking him questions and digging deeper and things he's saying as Gerard is in real time really grappling with the stuff he is publicly discussing. Whether those people in the audience are genuine or their plants from Bo Burnham, who can say, regardless, it's effective. It works. It doesn't matter what the answer to that question is. So I think just like the fact that there's like, so much intentionality and such a great message in this special. It's why I love it, you know? And even if, yeah, it's not the funniest thing I ever saw, but like, that's okay. Cause it's kind of like besides the point to me. Yeah. I, I think it's important to acknowledge that um, this is a black man talking in a yeah. room that is, it seems to be largely other black people 
um, talking about homosexuality, um, you know, being gay. And I think it's really powerful that he yep. did this because in that community, there's still, I mean, worldwide, there's still a lot of stigma against gay people, but especially within the black community, right. there's a lot of stigma. It's very brief yeah. with him. I mean, he has the line. Uh, he says, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, dudes just turned off the TV and yep. substitute for dude. And it's like, uh, so a lot of other gay black people online saying like, yeah, that line really hits for me. That really digs up, you know, things what happened with me. Like it's uh it's very perceptive. It's very specific. It's like a very specific experience to Gerard that a lot of other people can find a lot of yeah. solace into. So yeah, I was really impressed with it. You know, on one hand, it's like a, the surprise is a big contributor to it, but I also had seen the headline about Gerard's sexuality before I watched it. And I was still really impressed, even though I knew it was coming. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do have to say the audience plants took me out of it. I, I, I think they were clearly plants because those questions were so, so pointed and so like perfect. It almost felt like if this wasn't a plant, that's incredible. But um, I, it took me out of it a little bit just cause I was like, huh? Like it, if he was like crafting it, like where he was trying to get to these specific points, maybe I would give it a little bit more credit. But overall, I don't think I don't think that took away from the effectiveness of what he was trying to do here. And I also think like the the visual of him like walking into this club, this small club, taking his jacket off, sitting on stage, awesome shirt, like beautiful for the the show, ends it, walks back out into like a snowy, cold world again. It was just like such a like poignant like metaphor for everything that he's talking about and like it just being him walking outside alone in New York City which would never actually happen but just like very like there's a lot of thought put into this and shit I think uh, shout out to Bo shout out to shout out to Gerard for like their vision on this um definitely yep. surprising but in a good way for sure um why don't we move forward to something else that I'm sure you love just as much as this Dave which is Moon Knight <laughs> the uh, the new Marvel TV series on Disney Plus starring Oscar Isaac and uh, Ethan Hawke also in there. So yeah. you got two big stars right at the top, right at the top billing. Um, hmm. One episode in, Dave, Moon Knight. How, how, how did it fare for you? Yeah, the fifth Marvel Cinematic Universe Disney Plus series. A lot of uh, baggage coming in. For the average MCU fan, I'm sure. However, Moon Knight, refreshingly, through one episode, completely detached from the greater MCU. And if we reflect on the past MCU series at this point, the best ones, WandaVision and Loki, were also the ones that were the most contained. The ones that were most indebted to continuity and connecting to other movies and setting up future stuff were the ones that suffered the most. Hawkeye and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So Moon Knight seems to at least have its own identity be doing its own thing and through one episode got a lot of shit going on you know kind of weird kind of uh kind of funky kind of perhaps a unique point of view in the mcu of course it's too early to say that but the fact that it's perhaps possible is appealing to me so the fact that it's just kind of weird and Oscar Isaac's given multiple performances playing, uh, you know, the alter ego of Moon Knight with a character with disassociative identity disorder. Like, 
thought that's got all that kind of shit going on. It's like, okay, you know what? For an MCU thing, there might be something to this one, but we'll see. There's definitely bones here. You know, I think I was expecting to like this first episode more. And I don't know why I didn't necessarily. I think there's certain aspects that I really liked, but it was hard for me to shake the like Venom, Venom-esque quality of it. You know, like you have this guy who's kind of like dissociating. Yeah. You got the like the weird voice like talking right. to him being like, let me take over you like whatever, however it goes. I just, yeah, <laughs> stop fighting me. I was like, okay. Uh, yeah. I was by F. Murray Abraham, which yeah. is the the voice of Khonshu, the Egyptian moon god. Yeah, and uh, you know, so it was, there were certain aspects I was like, this is a little strange. You know, also like he's this weirdo who uh, I, I guess Eddie Brock actually isn't a weirdo till Venom takes over, right? He's like a cool, yes. he's just person, a journalist. Yeah, and um, Stephen Grant or yeah, Stephen Grant's just a big weirdo, but. Uh, it all, that that part also is always funny like oscar isaac this like super handsome dude who obviously is like super smart working in this museum like oh yeah everybody thinks he's a huge loser no one wants to like hang out with him but i guess he does get that date in the first yeah like honestly minutes, right? I, so i thought i thought oscar isaac was compelling as like the the nerdy weirdo unsocial person i thought it actually worked especially when you contrast it to the uh mark specter mercenary alter ego that we see via the mirrors. It's like, okay, yeah, no, that's the Oscar Isaac I think of. That's like the handsome, swab, Poe Dameron Oscar Isaac. So I was like, when you see the two compared, I'm like, okay, you know what? I, I actually kind of get it here. Yeah, obviously Oscar Isaac's still very handsome, no matter what mannerisms he's got going on. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's kind of cool that we get to watch this show and we'll get to see Oscar Isaac literally do two performances at once. And, you know, it if this is going to be the one for them thing that Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke do, you know, recently, at least Isaac seems to be really going for it and having fun, you know? So he definitely does something. And I think by far the most compelling scene in the whole first episode for me was when he wakes up in, um, what was that like Ireland or something that like, I think that was village. the Alps, the Swiss the Alps, Alps somewhere. Where uh, Arthur Harrow, played by Ethan Hawke, is like has his religious cult and he's holding some, I don't know, whatever that was, pendant or something like that. Yep, scarab and, or something. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought I thought that whole scene was really electric. You know, a lot of tension. The like uh, going back in and out, great car chase on like yeah, on the Swiss. I guess it was Swiss Alps in the mountain or whatever. Thought that was all really really fun. Um, also liked some of the setup, you know, when they're in the museum and you could see him like at his house, like the shackle around his ankle and the sand around his bed, all that stuff. I thought I think that's definitely like right. It's intriguing. Yeah. So well, it skips the origin story. That's what I like about it too. He's already got the two identities. He's already being Moon Knight in a certain sense. We're gonna get so that he, origin story though. Yeah, we'll see. He, he and he, he he already has the sleepwalking problems. Yeah. Though he thinks are sleepwalking problems, right? So like I like they were being thrown in there. But yeah, we'll see if they commit to it. I know the critics actually got four of the six episodes, which is more than usual for an MCU series. And apparently the plot starts to pick up around then. So we'll see if these early episodes are able to keep the momentum here. And Ethan Hawke joining franchise in this manner, playing a villain. I believe he's um, 
the manifestation of a different Egyptian god. That's how it goes. And it'll just be funny to see how the MCU, very calculating Kevin Feige world, how they actually tackle the Moon Knight character when it's all said and done, because Moon Knight's comic origins are very up and down as the character inherited more and more elements like it didn't it wasn't invented as a character with multiple identities for example or with roots to an egyptian god like it there's a lot going on but on its face moon knight has always been like he's the marvel batman but even more fucked up in the head so if they are able to present that in some way with the mcu i'll be interested i mean obviously we can't expect it to get too dark given the history of the mcu we'll see one other thing that i find interesting is this is series was developed by jeremy slater who previously had done work in developing umbrella academy for netflix uh directed some of these episodes uh, the direction for some of these episodes was done by mohammed diab who is an egyptian director and he recently before the show came out had talked about it's very critical of wonder woman 1984 and how they like very clichedly and stereotypically portrayed uh, Egypt and he's like you know I, he's really frustrated with Hollywood's often um, otherization and uh, uh, exoticization of like Egyptian locales so it'll be interesting to see how the Egyptian cultural stuff is actually treated throughout this series so you know it sounds like it'll be done more tastefully and you know as far accurately as it can be if Diab's comments are any uh, you know any hint there so I feel like it's a lot of like wait and see stuff with this but even if it's like not like the most amazing series ever, most amazing Marvel thing either, I'm still just hopeful, given that it, ha- it seems to have its own identity and just trying to do its own thing in some way. Just because we're very critical and Marvel doesn't let things do that, which is often the way it goes. So there's definitely some some intrigue here. We'll be checking in at the end of the series, which is May fourth. So uh, check that out. But why don't we move forward to another plus, Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus, where we have Slow Horses uh, just premiered this past week. The first two episodes. Did you get to both both of them? I did. Yes. Slow Horses, six episode first season. They've actually already shot a second season, which will be coming out eventually. And uh, yeah, this is an adaptation of the first book in Mick Heron's Slough House novel series that kicked off about 10 years ago. And I was not familiar with those books, but has a lot of, I think, components that a lot of fans of uh, dramatic television probably like, namely uh, spy thrillers. But I think the central conceit of this being set around uh, the, the, the fictional slough house, the uh, deadbeats of MI5, where the, they send off the shitty agents and hope they quit. And I find that's such a hilarious presence uh, yeah. for a spy thriller that I was like super into it. And of course, it's populated with a bunch of great actors. Yeah, I mean, not, not only do you get this great premise, like you mentioned, but then you have uh, Gary Oldman as like the, the head of this this department. Yeah. Um, Jack Loudon Jack. up and yep. coming. Uh, possible bond in the future playing river cartwright seems to who seems to be like the main character that we're following got livia cook yes sid which is she's just electric in this uh and then you know he just he goes to visit his grandpa and like has has dinner oh yeah it's just jonathan price 
He's just having yeah. like a you know side conversation about lemons with Jonathan Price, just like for five minutes. <laughs> like this shit's crazy, man. Yeah. Uh, also, the MI five like director type is Chris and Stott Thomas. NBD. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, oh, you know, too too many good actors in this show, and also you know maybe the best like opening like cold open scene in a tv show that i've seen since really like like the bodyguard i don't know man yes this that's, is... a, that's a great call yeah another british spy series yep very bodyguard-esque yeah. but that opening scene where i guess it t- turns out to be a drill but they're you know trying to identify this um asian uh you know suspect asian suspect with a blue shirt and a white <laughs> over shirt but they get that mixed up you know debatable on how that gets mixed up yeah uh and then him having to to like fix his his issue running through the airport amazing amazing uh opening Mm. scene just thrilling and really sucks you in and then you're immediately with gary oldman and this like ragtag group which is just like such a a fun concept there's there's a lot to like here um you know i I guess i don't really have a lot to say about it now i'm like totally in for this series and Apple TV Plus just continues to churn out good shit, dude. I know. Yeah, Apple's definitely ramping stuff up. You know, it's, it's interesting, I think, to look at this series, you know, British actors, British setting, but not a British co-production, just straight up an Apple TV Plus production. You know, HBO is the one that usually does like BBC co-productions or Channel 4 co-productions. So just something to note about the industry side of things with the way this is conceived. And uh, apparently the way the final episode is going to end is with straight up a trailer from season two, which is kind of unique. I wonder how quickly that'll come out, given they've already made it. But, you know, just the fact that you're getting Gary Oldman doing a completely different side of the spy genre after he played George Smiley and Tinker Taylor 10 years ago. That's just really exciting. Obviously, it goes without saying how great Gary Oldman is. Um, And yeah, just I think just spy thrillers. uh, It's just a really dependable genre and only six episodes you know we've already seen two i'm really excited to see more of the plot um yeah and i think olivia cook is continuing to churn out good work good roles really excited to see her get like the true star turn on house of the dragon later this year yeah i I do have to say at the end of episode two great cliffhanger also i one of the things i thought they did really well that um i mean not only setting up obviously river and spider as like these rivals and, right uh, that whole dynamic i really like too but in a lot of spy thrillers when they have a scene where they're like trailing someone or stalking them it just seems like how does that person not realize that person is like following them for so long um the way that they did it in this epi- in the second episode i thought made like a lot of sense there's like scenes where he's like on top of like a an area and the guy goes underneath yep. and you find like around and I was like, Oh, that actually seems a little bit more like realistic. And I more cautious. just, yeah, it just feels like more like thoughtful and more thought out as a hmm. show. So I'm really Grounded. interested. Yeah. To see um, where, where it goes. And obviously with this cast, you have to be in. So uh, check out slow horses on Apple TV plus Dave, let's move up. Let's stay on streaming. Let's move over to the bubble on Netflix. <laughs> Man, Judd Apatow, last time we, we heard from him was the King of Staten Island, which yeah. we both liked quite a bit. Um, I think it had some of the some of the usual Apatow 
ness you know maybe a little too long uh actually snl just made fun of that point this this past week which i, I thought was pretty funny uh pete davidson was part of, was in on the joke which i thought was great um but overall we were really impressed with the storytelling you know the mix of humor and seriousness in it just right. a lot of great themes and apatow seemed to have his fastball back and now the bubble comes out on netflix did that did he maintain that fastball for you dave uh, that's a that's a hard no on this one man (laughs) very perplexing to see this is a movie made by judd apatow given his credits even his like misses aren't like 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 this you know and it it just comes across as in a very like dated and not thought through movie presence and ultimately probably conceived as a bit of a timely cash grab it's a bit a bit disappointing you know and it wastes a a blockbuster cast in the process you talk about blockbuster cast i mean uh who's who of you know up-and-coming people in this uh headlined by karen gillen but obviously pedro pascal uh, his daughter, Iris Apatow, um, Le- I mean, Leslie Mann, his wife. So those are yep. kind of there. But like you get you get some old timers, Fred Armisen, Dave Duchovny, um, but uh, just a lot of people. Rob Delaney's in this. You kind of go down the list. Keegan Michael Key. Yeah, the, I think you even get like a Benedict Cumberbatch like uh, face in there. Yeah, you get okay, John Cena, okay. Daisy James Ridley. McAvoy. <laughs> I mean, like so many people are in this. And whew, I I found this to be incredibly unfunny um i think there's maybe like two or three scenes that i really thought were like really really great and yeah i think you said it well this felt like it should have been made in like the late 2000s as like a parody movie to something else Uh, and it's almost just like a parody of itself which is i don't know if that like a meet the spartans type thing or something yeah (laughs) exactly something like that i don't i don't know just really didn't work also I, i don't know if kate mckinnon's made like a good Thing outside of SNL in her career, no, at least not in a while, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe what was the one with Mila Kunis and her? People like yeah, that. spy, spy something. I forget. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, honestly, you know what the most uh, frustrating aspect of this cast and like the the waste wasting big cast for me is you have Maria Bakalova in this breakout star of Borat Two, and she has a complete nothing part and does absolutely nothing in the movie. So stupid. Yeah. I, although I do have to say, um, her whole thing with Dieter and how like she controlled him, I I did like I did yeah. find her like me- mesmerizing. She and I is think funny. She's still, yeah, she still has something there. But, whew, I mean, I'm trying. I'm just trying to think. Like the probably the moment I liked the most was when Pedro Pascal, uh, Dieter, um, like is having the reaction to taking too many drugs, and they just mm-hmm. don't know how to like take care of him so they keep like doing all this stuff they put him in ice hitting him like yeah hitting him in the chest and then finally maria bakalova's annika runs over and like gives him the uh, adrenaline or whatever it is Uh, whatever that is narcan whatever narcan yes thank you and uh that i thought was pretty funny just like how they didn't know how to do anything but (laughs) man i just I, i really can't even think of other moments i liked in this um yeah i mean there's a few like one-off moments where like i chuckled a few times like i thought early on where um doing the covid test for uh karen gillen i think it was and the guy starts counting down from 100 and then after a few seconds he's like no no, no just kidding like i thought that was yeah. pretty good 
the guy explaining like the VR like sex glove prosthetic oh, thing. Yes, that was pretty good. That was ridiculous. Um, also, Daisy Ridley being like a like a horny AI that pass is Pascal or Pascal like uh, like acid trips into having like intercourse with. I was like, wow, that was like. Yeah. Pretty funny to see Daisy really in a random cameo like that, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's like a, a bunch of like just dated aspects to it. Like just like the whole thing of so this movie was uh conceived and like like green lit in like fall twenty twenty. They made it in from February to April twenty twenty one. The thing though is like a lot of like the COVID like humor in this movie, you know, making a movie during COVID. A lot of the humor, it's like just so dated to our understanding of COVID. It's like all like spring 2020 stuff. We didn't know anything. Like there's a joke about like how the person got COVID who got everyone's coffee. And because she gave everyone coffee, we have to go into quarantine. Like we, we, we've known for so long that you don't get COVID passed to you by a physical object. Like mm-hmm. that's just, just like, and, and they made this movie in the spring of last year. Like they, why didn't they rewrite this? You know, it's just stuff like that just kind of frustrated me because it's like, this might have been more funny to someone if they happened to watch it back in the early pandemic, but then it wouldn't have been funny because it's such a tragic time. You know, it's just like it just some of it's just really off in that regard. Yeah, uh, I, I completely agree. I, I honestly just didn't think the writing in this was really funny at all. I guess like I'm trying to think like what moments actually stand out in my mind. I guess the stuff with um, Duchovny and Leslie Mann kind of yeah. does. I didn't really find that very funny, but I did find the part where Leslie Mann's hand gets gets shot off pretty funny just because it was so shocking and just like, yeah. oh, did not expect them to go there. Um, you know, the stuff with Iris Apatow, I, I thought like the like TikTok star aspect of it was yeah. not really well done at all. And just no, it's like, oh, she's a Demelio. Okay, again, it's a very 2020 yeah. understanding of TikTok too. Like, mm-hmm. Like, oh, she's yeah. a really like vapid young Gen Z person who only knows social media clout. Okay, like that's your observation, but you didn't do anything on it for two hours. Like, there's no development. You know, it's like, yeah. And what they were trying to say about yeah. like cancel culture when they were trying to like cancel her or whatever. You know, the yeah. other influencer. I just was like, this is such like a rich person perspective on like cancel culture. I just thought right. it was kind of stupid also all the stuff of keegan michael key ridiculous like stupid and ridiculous yeah yeah you you have uh the jokes about oh you can recast me i mean the guy lists off all the batmans and then calls robert pants and the twilight guy it's like obviously that's a very dated stupid joke to film twitter people but also like by the time we watch this movie we've seen robert pattins and d batman and he's fucking awesome yeah (laughs) uh also Uh, there's there's a line about so-and-so previously working for DeBaby, calling him a nice guy another very dated thing i you know when they made this movie the baby was still kind of he, he was probably like thought of more kindly back then so maybe we can forgive that one maybe oh, i don't know oh and also they dropped an iggy azalea song in this a new iggy azalea song at that i was like wow that's that's a choice that is a choice for sure <laughs> yeah um overall just wasn't my my favorite movie to watch not would not recommend um cliff b7 yeah. you're not into it <sighs> even even that like concept just annoyed me yeah so. I, honestly do you think this movie would have been better if we never saw them actually on set once and it was just all about the stuff of them in the hotel and losing their minds and stuff 
maybe that would have worked better because like all the stuff of watching them make this really stupid cgi blockbuster it's like it was just like almost like in the way or like padding or something you know you know i just don't think judd apatow is the right person to make this movie i think you need someone who had like it's like slight like horror chops to it too you know like jordan peele feels like if he had made this movie this would have been so much more like thoughtful and like maybe it would have right. been well, a good mix of funny and scary but i say that about most movies in jordan peele, <laughs> to be honest <laughs> good point yeah good point i'm trying to think of if i can think of anybody else um ari aster maybe you know mm, like this would have been a better like horror movie almost but uh, i don't know just i don't even want to think about this movie anymore let's move mm. on to a movie that i'm sad i haven't been able to see but i'm glad that you did because i hear great things about it everything everywhere all at once all the time everywhere? Uh, nope just everything everywhere all at once you got it all at once all the time <laughs> uh yeah tell me about it. i hear i'm hearing great things so everything everywhere all at once is the best movie i've seen thus far this year and i really see no scenario where this movie isn't in my top 10 at the end of wow. the year that's huge fantastic film for so many reasons and, you know, along those lines, let's just start here. This movie was in 38 theaters last weekend, grossed a million dollars. It'll be wide everywhere this coming weekend, so everyone will get a chance to see it. Right now, with like 18,000 entries, it is the highest rated film on Letterboxd, 4.6. That'll probably go down. But the fact that it's even there at this stage is really impressive and says a lot. Uh and obviously, people use Letterbox, probably more more of the film Twittery type people. However, you watch this movie, and it is still going to be super populous and super popular with the common man as well. There's nothing to worry about there. So really, really excited for this movie to go wide. I really hope it does well because it's a completely original creation from Daniel Kwan and Daniel Schneider, who are like a directing duo known as Daniels, the Daniels. The last feature film they made was 2016's Swiss Army Man from A24, starring Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe, if you remember that. Uh, this is another A24 joint. And the reason I love it so much, the reason why seemingly everyone I've seen <laughs> who's seen it loves it so much, is just because this is like one of the most impressive like original visions and commitments I've ever seen. And from, from the Daniels, like they deserve so much credit for how they made this, this movie work. And, you know, just our basic premise here, you have Michelle Yeoh as Evelyn Wong, our main character, and she works at a laundromat with her husband, Waymond, played by Ki He Kwan, a.k.a. Short Round from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yes, Ki He Kwan came back to acting uh, after taking a hiatus from 2002 to uh last year so that's really cool and he is amazing yeah. in this movie but yes they are uh, a, a couple running a laundromat and they're being audited by the irs and their irs agent is played by jamie lee curtis and before you know it evelyn is approached by waymond her husband but it's a different version of waymond different mannerisms takes his glasses off different energy to him and she realizes and is increasingly told the exposition from this other Wayman that he is from a different universe. He is a different Wayman. And uh, her help, Evelyn's help is needed to stop this evil force that is a threat to all these universes. And as you learn, you go through this movie, you learn 
how this world works. And it's like, it, it is one of the most impressive, if not the most impressive, like presentation of a multiverse in a movie that I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. not only is it like all like, you know, the, the, the sci-fi stuff, oh, other universes and stuff, right? But it also brings all that together with very intentional uh, messaging about uh, tenderness and, and what your alternate paths in other multiverses could mean for like your future. And like, I think the, the, the central themes of like uh, Evelyn and Wayman's relationship is never like sacrificed for the sake of like multiversal action spectacle. So because everything everywhere all at once is so like multifaceted in that regard, I think it's like really impressive the way like everything comes together at the end. Um, but like the general premise is that like Evelyn will start going into other multiverses and finding other versions of herself where she has like these other skills. Like there's a version where she became like an opera singer and thus she will take her that increased lung capacity back into herself in this other universe to get out of a sticky situation to stay alive and stuff like that. And she keeps like learning all these skills from other versions of herself. But in the in the meantime, she's also picking up other memories of what could have been if other things had happened. So like the whole like alternate paths thing like is going as you're watching this action spectacle. It's like super mind blowing. It's like a I sensory overload, but in like the best way possible. <laughs> and of course, Michelle Yeoh and Kiki Kwan, the, the martial arts in the movie is awesome. The action is great because we're seeing many versions of all these characters. The costume design is awesome. There's just so many different intricate costumes. Also, amazing theater movie because there's tons of awesome humor moments, moments, ridiculous moments designed in the movie for laughs, and they just tear the roof off when you watch them with with a crowd. So it's not like you can spoil a whole lot about it, but I'll just say like it's I think it's just a movie that deserves to be seen, and I really hope it's really successful because this would really show what can be achieved with original ideas when people really have a vision and are given the rope to to execute on it like it's really impressive and you know i thought stephanie sue plays uh the do- their daughter joy she's really great uh evelyn's older father played by james hong is really good also jamie lee curtis really great because you, you get to see her do different versions from different universes as well too and she's like super committed as well as so it's like kind of like curmudgeon-y irs agent um also there's a scene in the film from one of the you know alternate paths where it's like a very direct reference to In the Mood for Love, the Wong Kar Wai classic starring Tony Lung. I actually didn't catch that when I saw it, then I looked it up and it's like clear as day when you like compare the two scenes. Really cool to see that. So yeah, I would say this is a movie that like cannot be skipped. All right. Well, I guess I'm gonna have to go see it this weekend. Um, can't wait actually because I've I've seen I've heard great things. Uh, pretty much everything I've heard, similar to what you said, Dave, is just like, this is a singular movie going experience, something that people really can't compare. So uh, I can't wait to see it. And uh, drop your thoughts below. If you're watching on YouTube, let us know what you thought of uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. And Dave, you know, I think this is actually a good segue into our mm. Oscars 2023 predictions, because it sounds like you feel like there's a chance everything, everywhere, all at once might get some Oscar love next year. Would love to see it. A24 should at minimum push this for original screenplay because it is an original ass screenplay that works and really <laughs> deserves the plaudits. So, you know, obviously release in the spring, hard to contend this early 
for the next award cycle, but I really hope so because I really hope people watch the movie because it, it the plots are well deserved for sure. But well, uh, you know, we, we got a lot of other stuff coming out for twenty twenty three Oscars. A lot of big big names as expected. And it's actually funny because uh, I think that there's another movie that I, I don't think it will get quite the buzz that one of its predecessors did but i think the batman has a chance to get some nominations um at the right. you know probably some of the more technical ones at the award show next like year Frasier cinematography perhaps yes for sure so I, we've already had some really solid movies come out this year also we talked about after yang that yep. i think might be a dark horse um you know contender for uh oscar love next year as well um turning red I think has, is a shoe in to get nominated for best, um, you know, uh, animated feature, animated feature. Thank you. Um, so there's already a lot out there to like, but yeah, like you said, there's a ton of really good shit that's going to be coming out. A lot of good movies to look forward to. Where do you want to start with this? What, what's like the number one movie you're most excited for, for this year? Yeah, I think we have to start. I'm excited for a lot of things, but I think we have to start with two movies because of who's directing them. Killers of the Flower Moon from Martin Scorsese on Apple TV Plus and The Fablemans from Steven Spielberg because Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg have never competed for Best Director against each other. And it seems very possible that that could happen this year. Of course, another Scorsese film with Leonardo DiCaprio, Steven Spielberg getting very autobiographical about himself in a movie featuring Paul Dano as I believe his father Paul Dano has a lot of juice right now off the Batman. Very easy to see that transcending into his other work later this year. So I think these two are like really exciting. And it'd be really cool to see Marty versus Spielberg go at it again. Of course, Spielberg just set the record for being best director nominated. And was it, was it six or five different decades, six different decades, yeah, which is already crazy. a huge, huge achievement, of course. And now we're just seeing if Marty will actually get that second best director win or not, but really excited for both these films. Yeah, um, I'm very excited for Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, I I think that would probably be my number one most anticipated. Although yeah. the there are two other ones that really stand out to me. You already mentioned earlier in the podcast, Jordan Peele with Nope. Um, I, I think that movie has a lot of like mystery around it. But anytime you get Jordan Peele doing weird stuff and you also have Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, Steven Yoon, like. <laughs> the cast is there the creators there that that could be huge um yeah. I, I think that there's a couple other ones but there's this uh little director by the name of damien chazelle that's fucking that go. has a movie called babylon coming out and bro i mean you got brad pitt and uh <laughs> you got brad pitt and margot robbie like starring in this that, that i mean these four alone feel like she wins to be like yeah. going toe to toe at the award show next year. Whiplash, La La Land, and First Man. Damien Chazelle on the be- one of, if not the best, run for an American director right now. Such talent! I cannot wait for this movie. It's coming out right at the end of the year, around Christmas time. Will be a huge awards player for sure. Can't wait to see Chazelle back again. Any? I mean, what other ones do you feel like are even in this? Like this, because this I. I got to say, th- those four are like in a tier all of their own, probably, right? Right. Yeah, so I think like the way you go about this is like there's like people that you expect to be in the awards mix because they have been before, and then there's people that you're just really excited to see their films because they may do really good work. 
and whether you know that means they cross over into the awards race or or not is like a separate question. I'd say you, we really should not discount the fact that Wes Anderson's coming back once again with Asteroid City with another dynamite cast and a dynamite premise. Wes Anderson, we know how singular he is as a director. We just saw the French Dispatch last year, and I can't wait to see another one of his movies. Yeah. Kind of crazy he's coming back so quickly. I'm really hoping that this is going to be a little bit more, um, I don't know, a little bit more grabbing than French Dispatch, obviously. Well, it's not going to have vignettes, I don't think, so that's, right. that helps. A it's it's a, a romantic story. comedy drama, he says. And it's Scarlett Johansson's first uh, live-action role for Wes is like the key thing here. And also Tom um, Hanks, I think. You know... <laughs> One that, that just keeps sticking out to me everywhere I was looking when I was thinking about movies for this year, and one that I'm super excited to see, is this movie called The Northman from Robert yeah. Eggers. It comes uh, out in a few weeks. Man, I mean, I don't I don't see why this can't be up there. Not only would I, I see this being like a, a nomination for Eggers, like kind of anointing him like Chloe Zhao as like one of the next great filmmakers, but I mean... It looks looks dynamite. Has a great cast. I mean, Willem Dafoe is like the like Northman King, like kind of mm-hmm. crazy king. And then you got Skarsgård just kind of running around being a fucking Greek yeah. god. Like looks incredible. Annie Taylor Joy back again with Eggers yep. after The Witch, which was her breakout performance. Well, I can tell you why it, it it wouldn't be in the awards race. It's just because Robert Eggers is fucking weird, and that's his thing. <laughs> and it might not be his most palatable but his last movie was the lighthouse which was super weird but also fucking ruled so i would love to see the northman uh in the mix can't wait to see it uh at the end of this month and i hope it does big business you know because this is his biggest movie to date easily so very excited about the northman uh you know along along those lines elevated horror which is where eggers has dabbled in the past Ari Aster's coming back with Disappointment Boulevard. Mm. Ari Aster, of course, the director of Hereditary and Midsommar. So, you know, they're probably the most exciting director working in horror right now. We'll see exactly how horror this movie is. Similarly, Alex Garland has a movie coming out in May called Men, which seems to also be on the horror angle. Eggers, Garland, Aster, you know, huge film twitter heroes there we'll see if any of them can break through in the bigger awards race yeah i mean i think those those are great calls it's hard to like uh, it's hard for me to conceptualize this and i think it's because i i I saw this person most recently in free guy and he is being so ridiculous but uh take ytv has a movie coming out this year called next goal wins and you know you've so been talking about this one for so long he made it pre-pandemic i know and we, we talked about it last year too and you would think like all right is is taika really <laughs> gonna like recapture that the magic of jojo rabbit i don't see why not he's incredibly likable he makes very palatable very like thoughtful and just like uh easy to watch stuff even though there were moments in jojo rabbit obviously that's very tough um, I don't see why this movie with, with I think he's starring in this too. Uh, why this couldn't, you know, all, potentially be in the mix? Uh, has Fastbender starring actually? So, yes, so, but I think he's he's acting. So uh, I I really hope that movie's successful. <laughs> I, I could definitely mm. see that being up there. Another one that stands out to me as a potential 
is I want to dance with somebody. This Whitney Houston mm. biopic. Yeah. With, uh, I think it's Kiki Palmer, right? No, uh, Naomi Aki. Naomi Aki. Naomi yeah. Aki. Um, I think that has potential to be in the Aretha lane, where it's like if it's a little bit better, maybe a little bit more right. cohesive and compelling of a story, maybe we can uh, get that a nomination as well. Right. Andre Day, of course, was nominated for U.S. vs. Billy Holiday just two Oscars mm-hmm. ago. Very possible for musical biopic to do well, of course. And then you have to, always, of course, support the musical bi- biopic, the Elvis movie. Yep. Are we getting that this year? I mean, is that going to be? Yeah, no, that's dated for, uh, I think it's June or July this year. We've already got oh. the trailer. And uh, Baz Luhrmann, of course, has been at the Oscars before. Uh, looking no further than Shakespeare in Love, Best Picture winner, after all. Uh, but honestly, I think that trailer looks really good. Austin Butler as Elvis, um, Tom Hanks as, uh, I forget his name, the manager figure. Uh, really excited to see this one. Hopefully it's like the good of Baz Luhrmann, a guy who obviously is very excessive in how he makes his movies. Um, yeah, are there any of the other major biopics? I know um, Ma- Maestro, the Bradley Cooper directorial film, his first movies directing since uh, A Star is Born. He's only just getting to make that now, so I'm not sure if that's going to hit this award season. That's also that's a, that's a Bernstein biopic. The one that comes to mind is Nolan's Oppenheimer biopic. Yeah, that, that, we know that's data for 2023, so yeah, that, that one's not that's... this award season. Very excited for that, of course. Yeah. So I don't really know if there's any others in the biopic category. I mean, they always, they always bubble up, of course. Um, yep. But, I mean, there, there's plenty of other exciting stuff here. Um, just, just think about, like, you know, usual suspects at the Oscars. Uh, Noah Baumbach coming back once again with Adam Driver with White Noise for Netflix following up Marriage Story. Uh, White Noise always seen as a hard-to-adapt project. We'll see Noah Baumbach, of all people, tackle it on. That's really exciting. Also, uh, Sam Mendes is coming back with Empire of Light, starring Olivia Coleman. Of course, Sam Mendes was just up for Best Director with 1917 just a few years back. Uh, that's exciting. But I think more more than those two, I'm actually really excited for Yorgos Lanthimos' next movie, Poor Things, because, of course, his last yeah. movie, the favorite, huge awards presence. Coleman was amazing. Uh, Emma Stone did win her first Oscar at that film. Nichols Holt was so good. Now we have Yorgos with Willem Dafoe and Emma Stone once again, Rami Youssef. Uh, Gerard Carmichael, Mark Ruffalo, like, mm-hmm. and it's your ghost. It's gonna be like, great. Can't wait, you know. Yeah, I can't wait to see that either. Um, you know, it, the Oscars always loves to be preachy, always loves to have a cause, and that's why I think she said, which is starring Carrie Mulligan playing a mm-hmm. uh, the New York Times um, journalist Megan Tui, um, alongside uh, Zoe Kazan, who's playing Jody yeah. Cantor, the other. Uh, journalist who did a lot of the the research and, and digging to take down Harvey Weinstein. And yep. uh, if there's something that could make Hollywood feel good about itself after awarding Harvey Weinstein for many years and people just kind of letting that all skate by would be rewarding, a, you know, a movie that is hmm. glorifying his, his being taken down. So um, you could, should know too that uh, she says directed by Maria Schrader. Yeah. Unorthodox, the German, She's German, the German Netflix series got a lot of Emmy love. And then just last year, she made I'm Your Man uh, with Dan Stevens, which is a really well-liked movie. So, yeah, I think that that's a really good call there. Um, just, you know, assuming it's good, like that has all the all the components you expect. 
Um, you know, also, uh, Florian Zeller's coming back with another movie called The Sun with Hugh Jackman and Anthony Hopkins returning as well. Of course, Florian Zeller's directorial debut was The Father, which was a big surprise two Oscars ago. Anthony Hopkins, of course, winning Best Actor for that one. Um, also, David Fincher has a new movie coming out. You know, his first uh, movie since Mank. It's called The Killer. Michael Fassbender's return to acting after taking some time off, you know, when he had a child with Alicia Vikander. Fincher just finished that movie production-wise, so I'm sure it's he's in editing now. It's unclear if that'll actually release this time or they'll save it till next year, but keep in mind that another Fincher movie is coming. It's just it's it's so crazy because we've already listed off how many like amazing and legendary directors. Mm-hmm. It's already yep. a stacked field. We have I got a few more too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um Cha Cha Real Smooth with Dakota Johnson, I think is one that could be in the mix i i guess i'm i'm thinking i do you think there's a chance that one of these superhero movies could sneak in something like thor love and thunder or maybe spider uh spider-man into the spider-verse 2 right so spider-verse part 2 whatever it's a long title whatever it's called that yeah you have to imagine that's going to be an animated feature of course into the spider-verse did win best animated feature uh, you know a few years back but yeah, as far as like The Flash and Doctor Strange 2, Thor 4, Black Adam, uh, Shazam 2 in December, I'd say probably no on those. Obviously, some effects nominations will probably spew up. If anything, Black Panther 2, Black Panther, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is the one to watch because, of course, Black Panther 1 was Best Picture nominated and it is being made by Ryan Coogler, of all people. So um, of all of all the blockbusters of which there's a lot of other ones too jurassic world dominion bullet train argyle the gray man for netflix top gun maverick of all the blockbusters though the one i am most excited about in december is avatar 2 from james cameron aquaman 2 got the fuck out of the way they were dated for the (laughs) same uh weekend at one point avatar 2 baby discount james cameron discount james cameron at your own peril he has taken 12 years to make this movie. I'm very excited about it. Are you excited about it? I am. I'm I a fan say. of the first one. The first one's fucking awesome. How many times have you watched that since it came out? Uh, I haven't seen it in a while, but I own the movie on Blu-ray. I do really like it. it it's definitely it's a fine movie to watch. It's just like, I don't know. I, I think for how much money it made, it's just kind of crazy. It doesn't get talked about more than yeah well i feel like people say that all the time now that it's getting underrated a little bit and i'm sure we'll you'll hear from a lot of people this year when they revisit it before avatar 2 comes out also just quickly on bullet train that's a david leach movie starring brad pitt would be assumingly a prime contender for a best stunt performance award if one did exist very much looking forward to that movie this summer um david russell has a new movie do we talk about that one yet canterbury glass we did not, um, yeah. First movie Christian since Bale. Joy. It's been a while. Yeah, Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Robert De Niro. <laughs> I mean, the the cast is absolutely stacked. I just listed like half of it, but right. uh, I, I don't know. We'll see. I didn't really love Joy, no. but I think I think he's got the chops to to make a good comeback. Right. I mean, you he can't did, you can't discount him. You can't. He did get a a lot of flack recently for being abusive on set terms of his actions i don't I don't know if it was anything criminal but just he seems like he's like a dick on set especially to women so 
We'll see if PR people want to promote his movie when the time comes. But definitely do want to see the movie given the cast and the fact that it's been a long time. So uh, definitely uh, will have my attention. Also, uh, um, I just want to shout out in uh, the David O. Russell movie, um, the cast, which includes uh, people who have won many, many, many uh, awards, has Sean Avery, the uh, New York Rangers ex-player yeah. uh, on it, which is just such, such a random addition. What the fuck? <laughs> sure. <laughs> it just really caught my eye. I just had to point it out. What were you going to say, though? Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of other stuff, a lot of other names still to throw out here. Um, Armageddon Time. From James Gray, his first movie since Ad Astra, a movie I loved. This movie is a period drama with Anne Hathaway, Anthony Hopkins, and Jeremy Strong. James Gray has been like film Twitter, film cinephile darling for such a long time. You have to imagine at one point he will eventually be recognized by the Academy. Maybe it's this time, who can say? Also, Ridley Scott, after releasing two movies in 2020 with The Last Duel in House of Gucci, is back once again with an Apple movie. Uh, was called Kitbag. Now it's called Napoleon. And of course, that stars Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon Bonaparte and also has Vanessa Kirby in it. Very excited. Ridley Scott just putting up shots, man, in his 80s. Fucking legend. Yeah, I don't know how that guy works as much as he does. I hope I have that much energy when I'm 80. Um, you know, just kind of looking through here, what I have left on my list, I guess. One that really stands out to me, I don't know if we've mentioned yet, is Alex Garland's new movie, Men, which yep. Yep, uh, seems a little bit like creepy. I, I can't really tell what it like what it's going to be yeah. like, but first um, movie Jesse since Buckley. Annihilation. Yeah, Jesse Buckley is uh, starring in this, you know, recent Academy Award nom. So there's probably something there um, to consider. I mean, what else is even in the running here for you? What else you got? Yeah, I got a few things still. Uh, what? Knives Out 2 is coming out on Netflix with Ryan Johnson. Oh, right. I forgot about that. You know, probably unlikely that it makes the same uh, impression due to like un- lack of expectations that the first one did, of course. But still, uh, we expect it to be very good. Can't wait for that movie. Uh, also, we should shout out uh, The Banshees of Irishirin, which is the new Martin McDonough movie, his first since Three Billboards mm. outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Martin McDonough has been, you know, just recently uh, Academy favorite. So that one bears watching. Also, uh, Darren Aronofsky is back with A24 in uh, The Whale, his first movie since Mother. It's been several years now. And that movie is about uh, a 600-pound man played by Brendan Fraser. So it sounds right up Aronofsky's alley. So uh, worth checking out for sure. Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have too much else down here. I guess um, where the crawdads sing, you know, that that could mm-hmm. fall into that like adaptation of a book of a very famous book that falls into something. I tend to lean that will go more of that like the hillbilly elegy type route, but uh-huh. uh, we'll see. Um, I don't know what else is out there that I you're have, looking forward to. I have a, I just have a few more. Go for it, Olivia Wilde follow-up to Booksmart, yeah, her yeah, second yeah. film, Don't Worry Darling, starring mm-hmm. Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, and Chris Pine coming out this fall. Very excited about that one. What a cast. Also, hell yeah, right? Can't wait. Uh, I'm expecting people. a big Pugh, role, Pugh performance. Very exciting. Also, uh, Andrew Dominic's Blonde, starring Anna Armas for Netflix. We've talked about this one a few times. 
it is coming out this year. It's officially received the NC-17 rating as well. So Andrew Dominic, first movie in ages. You know, he did some Mindhunter directing, but first movie in such a long time. Onto Armas, we, we know what to expect there. Very exciting. Um, and I think the last big one for me would be Decision to Leave, which is the Park Chan-wook film coming out this year, his first feature film since The Handmaiden back in 2016. Of course, since then, he did make The Little Drummer Girl for uh, AMC, which we did like quite a bit with Florence Pugh. Park Chan-wook making another film. The Academy, of course, is very international these days, more likely to recognize very good international films, so would not be shocked at all to see Decision to Leave there at the end of award season. A lot of really good movies coming out this year, I think is the takeaway. And yeah. so uh, keep your AMC Plus Pass handy. Keep your um, Apple TV and all your streaming services up to date. And, and go go support these movies in theaters if you can. If, if oh, you yeah. feel safe to, I guess. So, Dave, I think that's going to do it for this week. What else you got for next week? Next week, Michael Bay, new movie. Ambulance, Gyllenhaal, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, Isaac Gonzalez. I'm excited for this one. Even when it's bad, Michael Bay, like Six Underground, Netflix, the action's still wild shit. So I can't wait to see this movie. Sonic did did you just forget to mention this for uh, the Oscars for next year? or I, I did. That That's an oversight for sure. <laughs> uh, what else you got? Sonic 2 is coming out. Uh, you know, who knows? Sonic 1, uh, I guess a surprising level of competence. Uh, and Tokyo Vice, <laughs> the HBO Max series from Michael Mann starring Ansel Elgort and Ken Watanabe. We'll see about that one, if we can get over the Ansel of it all. And then several, oh, and uh, the dropout, the Elizabeth Holmes and Amanda Seyfried Hulu series is wrapping up. I've liked that one quite a bit. And then from there, ton of big records coming out. Vince Staples, Fabio Foreign, Camilla Cabello, Father John Misty, and Jack White. Five big records. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about them all next week. Hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgiapod and hit that five-star rating on uh, Spotify. Anywhere else that you can read us. We'll see you next week. Yeah.